0: This week on A Lively Experiment, the frontrunner in next month's election for the 1st Congressional District rejects a call from his opponent for multiple debates. And Rhode Island often tries to replicate what's being done in Massachusetts. So why not tax cuts using millions from a hefty state surplus?
1: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr., For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis
0: of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Steve Frias, National Committee Man for the Rhode Island Republican Party, political contributor Bob Walsh, and Republican strategist Lisa Pelosi. Welcome into this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. History was made again in Washington, D.C. this week. We'll have much more on now former Speaker Kevin McCarthy's ouster on Tuesday. But first... During the primary season, Gabe Amo went anywhere and everywhere trying to introduce himself to the voters of the 1st Congressional District. That included a robust debate schedule. Up until earlier this week, though, he had agreed to only one debate with his Republican challenger, Gary Leonard. Bob, let me begin with you. He has since now uh, agreed to Channel 10, but it's, it's far short, I think, of what uh, some people that I talk to think he should do. Politically, probably a good move, but
2: I don't know about the optics. Uh, Politically, probably a good move. The optics are probably neutral. I told one of our reporter friends, Jim, that I blame the media. Because instead of... Why not? Because instead of asking the question, hey, will you commit to at least three debates against your opponent if you win the primary during the primary debates? And there were 12 of them or something. They asked whether they liked Mr. Lemon or Dells. So... The media could have straightened this out, and I guarantee you, in every future debate, they will ask in the primary. Do you think they thought that Amo was going to win will the primary? Debate? I mean, w- no, no, no mean, they should oh, have asked ask all, all of candidates. them. Ask all yeah. the candidates. Are you committed to debates? I don't think it's going to make uh, a big difference. Uh, I guess the commitment is now to do the the two major t- televised debates. Um, I understand why in the, the politics of a race where your opponent is not well-known at all, why would you give them free media when you're paying for media? And I think Gabe's going to run the same uh, general election campaign he did in the primary. I call it the tortoise and the hare race. You just keep going along, you do your work, you raise your money, and you go on TV heavy at the end when people are finally paying attention and voting. it worked from for him in the primary, it'll work for him in the general. Steve? Steve? Um. I think
1: it's obviously, I think I agree with Mr. Walsh and that it's probably not going to hurt him much at all. Um, and it is a political move to basically say, hey, I don't, I'm going to win this. I have the money. I have the resources. I don't need to give the time of day to the public to have a debate on these issues. But I do, I've always believed that people need to have a debate, uh, public officials when they're running for office. And it's a detriment to the public. And actually, I think it's reflective in some ways to me with Mr. Ammo that, you know, he thinks he can get away with it now. What do you think he's going to get away when he's in Washington? If you're going to ignore the public and say, I don't want to give you time for a debate and I'm only going to do it with pulling teeth, then, you know, this is what starts happening with politicians. They get away with it and then you can't try to hold them accountable.
3: You know, I didn't even know who he was when uh, his name first came out. So I know Four or who, five
0: months ago,
1: yeah. Four or
3: five months ago. So I think there was a very small political circle who was aware of him. But the general public, I think we were all saying, who is this person? So he really benefited from all the public exposure that he got. And I thought it was a little off-putting for him to say, now that I've won the primary, that I'm not going to do more than one debate. Well, What really concerns me is early voting starts in a couple weeks. Mm. And these um, two debates on the two television stations don't <coughs> happen until after the early voting starts. Part, so. mm-hmm.
2: Well, presumably then the people who vote early will already know who they want to choose and vote and have enough information. And those who want more information can wait and watch the debates at the end.
3: I know. But again, <laughs> if you're trying to do the best process for the voters to see both candidates side by side, you should wait. Well,
2: that's the, the voters can wait to vote if they so desire based on that. Based on that theory, right? You don't have to vote early. Well, I know. Same, well, if if I lived, lived in, in the, the first district, too. I'd vote early because yeah. I would vote for
0: Gay. Well, a lot of people said that with Don Carlson, <laughs> wasted vote. It's by or beware to me, Bob. The right. issue I have is uh, Gabe almost look likable guy, and I, I agree with your analysis. The thing that I have a problem with is this: Well, people know where I stand. People don't know who you were f- four months ago. So unless you were locked in on the primary, oh, I, and, and you know this whole deal, everybody knows where I am because I, I went out and did it. I think that's a
2: little bit obviously. Ingenuous. I love debates. I, if I was did a comeback and did this again 30-something years later. I'd debate all the time even if my advisors told me not to, but I appreciate the advice and the strategy. And by the way, no one is working harder than Gabe Amo as a candidate. He is everywhere. I ran into someone yesterday that said they saw him three times in the last week doing events in their community. So he is the Energizer Bunny of candidates. So he's working hard. He's getting his message out there. He's just not choosing to use his platform to elevate an opponent who most people can't name. Who, by the way, is a nice guy and 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 the Republicans were lucky to recruit someone like that to run uh, for office. Uh, but, you know, it's a foregone conclusion in this race. The, the, I, think,
1: I think the problem, though, is, you know, going to a lot of events, being out there, that's one thing. But when you're in a debate, unexpected things can happen. You're being questioned. You're under the microscope. That's when people see sometimes who you are and how you handle these sorts of critical questions. Um, and that's why debates are important. Can statements, press releases... Uh, scripted events is not the same as a debate where you're being questioned and you're forced to address certain issues by your opponent and by the media. Simple as that.
0: We talk about it almost every election cycle. I wonder how much of this is driven by consultants, because if it were me and I really I I don't think he has much to worry about. I mean, what's he going to worry about? A little bit of a slip. If I was the candidate, I tell the consultants, you know what, I appreciate your advice, but let's do five or six. Let's just do it.
3: Right. Yeah, and I think he should have done that. And I think Gary Leonard shouldn't have asked for as many as he did. Yeah. You know, so you know, to start with. Yeah, that was it. Was, it was a
1: high negotiating. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: But <laughs> we know, don't really have debates anymore. We have forums where we throw questions at all of them. I would have rather in the primary have seen real debates. Among four or five candidates instead of these 12 people on a
0: stage. Some of the bottom feeders. Um, What does Gary Leonard have to do now, though? I mean, apart from the debates, he's got, you know, we're a little more than a month out, a little less than a month out.
3: You know, it's that boots on the ground. You know, that's what Gabe did during the primary, that he just all the knocking on doors, you know, so he really just needs to get his, you know, person out there, his people out there and doing it. I remember when Patrick Kennedy would run, the Republican opponent would always get about 35% anyway. So you know, there's a built in, Mm -hmm. but this district is so Democrat right now. So it's a real upheld challenge for him. And maybe he should be thinking about next year. You know, this is just gabe in for the year until next year's election. So put down a nice framework and then run again.
2: And still get 35% of the vote. Yeah. Yeah, Well,
1: uh, (laughs) well, the the difference is this is a special election. So, in the special elections, where things can happen, that means about turnout so, what Mr. Leonard would have to do is really do an incredible job of turning out base Republican-type voters, the people who generally vote Republican. They may be about a third generally in that district, but if you have a high percentage of them come out and the Democrats take it for granted, you can score some points and maybe make it competitive. And also, you've got to give people a reason not to vote for Gabe Ammo. And there are reasons you can come up with, potentially, you know, that he's basically a Washington political operative over time, went from lobbying to being in the White House, and that, in contrast, you know, Mr. Leonard is a, you know, a, a colonel and has served our country. So you've got to come up with, like, a reason to vote against a Democrat and then get your base out motivated. I'm not gonna say he's gonna even, you know, he'd win, but at least you could make it competitive and then build from there on the future.
2: I think the debate is a greater risk for Colonel Leonard than it is for Gabe Obama, in all honesty, because there's one question that will divide the Rhode Island Republican electorate right down the middle. How do you feel about Donald Trump? Trump has some hardcore supporters among in the Republican Party, even in the first district. And I suspect that Colonel Leonard does not think very highly of Donald Trump. And he would say so because he seems like an honest straight shooter. And he would turn off some of the normal Republican constituent. It's what, uh, what I used to say to uh, Alan Fung when he was running in the, in the second district last time. I said, Trump is your worst enemy. You're not like him. Final thought on that?
3: Yeah, it's just, what's the voter turnout going to be? Are they kind of weary, you know? So how many people actually will come out for it? So we'll see.
0: Yeah, not nearly as many as in the Democratic primary. All right, Uh, speaking of Donald Trump, back to Washington. Uh, Now former Speaker Kevin McCarthy was the first ever to be removed as House Speaker. Uh, There's a big vacuum in Washington now. Several names are coming forth. This is all probably going to be decided by the time we have a show next week. Uh, Steve, let me begin with you as a national committee man. We're sitting here in Rhode Island. What do you think about all this going on?
1: Um, pretty sad. And I'll start out, like, of course, from the Republican Party perspective, I think we look pretty dysfunctional. I think this is not why people voted for Republicans to go to Congress to see sort of this behavior And, but I'll also say it was a sad day for America in general. And and I'm not a big Kevin McCarthy fan, you know what I'm saying? But what happened here is a uh, a person worked with Democrats to keep the government open in a bipartisan way. And instead what occurred, what should have happened is that the eight or seven Republicans who didn't like that should have been just sidelined. But instead the Democrats with them decided to take the guy down after doing what I thought was a responsible thing which is try to work, in when you're in divided government, work in a responsible manner by working with the other side to keep government open. And the Democrats saw the gain in bringing McCarthy down, but the big loser is going to be bipartisanship going forward and the long-term, the ability for this country to work together when it's divided
0: government. I think I think that's what's depressing is that even ten or twenty years ago you could have people come across the aisle saying, "What are we doing here?" I mean, we can't have the government shut down. Now there are a couple of people who just want to seem to blow it all up, and they don't really care.
3: They're rebel rousers, you know. And to do that, and to me, what it's so disappointing about the Republicans, it's the short game. So the, the short win right now, but in the end, it looks like what will happen next year with the general election if the t- Democrats take over and win the House. So I don't know how many of these Republicans who were so happy that they knocked out Speaker McCarthy are looking down the road to see what is this going to the impact on our races next year.
2: It's, you know, when the other side's doing your job for you, you don't have to say much more. But Kevin McCarthy lost the speakership the day he got it by negotiating with terrorists in his own delegation. But that's the only way he could get it. it. Well, and then maybe that's where the greater goal is to say no and keep it going at the upfront. Because when you say any one person here... Can make the motion. You put a time limit on yourself, and and uh, ironically, McCarthy was a deeply partisan Republican and gave the Republican, uh, gave the Democratic Party in the Congress a hard time. But he did see the greater wisdom of a bipartisan budget bill. So it is unfortunate that that was his undoing. But uh, there is not. And there are so few folks who have been around long enough in Congress to remember what bipartisanship really looks like that it's probably going to take another cycle for it to come to come over. And Patrick McHenry did himself no favors. The first thing he did in the job as the interim speaker was he told Nancy Pelosi, who had a little hideaway office down the hall, which is the courtesy extended to former speakers of the House, Republican or Democrat, she had one day to pack her stuff out and move it out. She wasn't there. She was in California at the funeral of a very good friend, the late Senator Diane Feinstein. Yeah, I don't think
0: Nancy Pelosi was going to be moving boxes, but point taken. Yeah, I mean,
1: about the Nancy Pelosi office space, I never care about those kinds of issues. I mean, these politicians would offer space and either. parking, they parking, parking the lots. parking no, is horrible and the, the optics was bad, was the Democrats working with Matt Gates, voted with Matt Gates to take down a speaker who had just worked with them to keep the government open. That's the real optics that matter. Now, in regards to this, you know, the negotiation at the beginning, look, for almost our entire history, you could have one person make a motion to vacate, okay? Except for four years, well, almost our entire history, one person can make the motion to vacate. What ha- why that never worked before is that if you had one flank, one part of the party do that, the other party just wouldn't go along with it. They weren't into that stuff. And this time, the Democrats said, let's take advantage of it and bring down McCarthy. That's why it happened.
3: And you know what's so sh- short-sighted about this too is he's the devil we know, so Sc- Scalise and Jim Jordan are yeah. more to the right of Kevin McCarthy. So who's next coming up? Th- you know there. So I don't know if the Democrats thought about. Do they just want to get rid of Kevin McCarthy? But who was thinking a little long term of who's next up in the succession plan? So who knows what how the next week's going to go in the vote? And if it's not the two of them, how many weeks? So we know it took five days for Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker earlier in January. How long is this one going to take? I just
0: think you know there are probably some uh, Republicans who are like we want to work with the Democrats, but we're worried about the backlash. And I'm sure the word came down from Hakeem Jeffries. Look, we're not we're going to vote together. We're not going to do it. I bet there were some Democrats. In the rank and file, who said, oh, I, "Let's go for I think it was McCarthy. a
2: robust
0: and, conversation, and it's in the too bad those those right those on either side can't
2: come together yeah, because the leadership's telling them not to. Well, do it. I think it's the way things are there, and both sides, right? I mean, I think it's a little extreme to blame the Democrats for this outcome, but I, I mean, you know, no, I, that, I. But I, that's uh, where the votes went, it, right?
1: It always when something bad happens like that. It takes two to make something bad happen, and like the pro- they have this thing called the problem solvers caucus. Which are moderate Democrats? They didn't solve any problems. Those right. guys—they just created some more. Well, it,
0: I also think that that um, uh, McCarthy didn't do uh, do himself any favors when he tried to spin a potential government shutdown and put it on Biden. I thought that that was ridiculous, and I mean, I understand why he d- did it, but yeah. everybody's like, "Look,
2: this is your mess. Clean it up." I, I'll yeah. tell you this: had Alan Fung been successful in his race and been down there. He could have been the peace broker. No, 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 no. (laughs) I would have been on the phone to him the next day and said, all right, now's your time to come home to the Democratic Party. Because how could you stand this nonsense, really? That's- yeah, I'm not sure that would happen.
3: Well, sometimes it's good to I try to still be the voice in the caucus <laughs> to try to, you know, affect change. So, you know, you don't have to switch parties if you truly believe. Don't listen you-
2: to where Alan come home to the Democratic <laughs> Party. <laughs> all
0: right. There was uh, there has been good budget news, actually, with all these storm clouds hanging for the out years. Uh, Rhode Island is running a larger than expected surplus. And yet uh, still no um, specific tax breaks. Uh, Governor McKee talked about this a little bit on the radio this week. Massachusetts, and the reason we're talking about this is Massachusetts has been doing targeted tax breaks for seniors, disabled. They brought back some of the... Um uh, uh brought down some of the capital gains. Now I heard the governor on the radio the other day say, "Look, we eliminated the car tax, we did the tangibles, but also I think people look to the north. We always try to emulate Massachusetts. Why can't we squeeze a little of that money out in a direct tax relief?"
3: Yeah, and I think he tried to do that in his budget proposal with the sales tax. But you remember we cal- 0.15 Right, <laughs> and when we calculate every, you know, family would save $70 right. and then it became $35 per year, you know, to do that. So I don't, you know, as a taxpayer I don't want the money coming back to me in that kind of small increment. Spend the money on the problems that we have and make a bigger impact with it.
2: Yeah, Bob? Well, Lisa said, spend the money on the problems that we have and make a bigger impact. You can't start talking about tax cuts when we have the homeless problem. When we have 900 kids in the state who need early intervention and are still on a waiting but list. DHS they is running
0: a 16 million
2: dollar surplus. That's that they because they can't spent. fill positions. They can't fill positions. We have plenty of needs for the money. You want to compete with Massachusetts, which is a higher higher, uh, income tax uh, rate at the top bracket than we do. You want to compete with Massachusetts and you want to raise wages, make the teacher salaries competitive, make the uh, salaries competitive for all the places we're losing people across the border to Massachusetts. When... We are matching Massachusetts in educational outcomes and reducing homelessness and all the other things we compare ourselves to Massachusetts in then go wild with tax cuts, but until then... What my Republican colleague on the panel said, spend the money and make a difference. Yeah.
1: Well, I will tell you this. That's not the typical Republican message, what Lisa said. I think she knows that. they're divided. Yeah, Yeah. right on this one. Uh, I've always believed that I'd rather have money in my pocket and decide how I want to spend it, even if it's a dollar, than have somebody else do it for me. And I'll tell you this. I grew up in Massachusetts. I came here about 30 years ago. And... Um, you were
0: coming for four years, and you just I, had just, a lot, I stayed right? here, what and I think doing?
1: I look at it and I say, my father and my mom, there, they're doing better than me, because of the tax situation. I mean, they're getting some of that tax relief. They're they're gonna the death tax has also uh, changed in Massachusetts. They, it's a liberal state, but they're much more competent. They have a lot more money. Okay, and I'm just, period. They're a more competent state for management and on taxes in general on schools. They're better and we are ne- we have to start figuring out how to get to that level and we don't instead it's like let's go spend something here let's go spend something there and until our taxes are competitive with Massachusetts, we're not going to be able to compete with Massachusetts.
3: Okay, so when I read that the Department of Human Services didn't spend all their money, I'm, th- I'm like, I'm rubbing my eyes, because they used to be the department that overspends, and right. we would always and have to have come back to do,
0: back a and to
3: do yeah. that. So we're in a crisis in terms of um, employment and trying to attract people, and when we can't have the right number and qualified people at nursing homes taking care of our folks. So have that money go toward, you know, people's salaries so we can attract people and fill these jobs Jobs. that's what I'm looking at yeah, you know, I agree
2: I agree with Lisa I, w- I would rephrase uh, your mm-hmm. statement and say until our wages are competitive with Massachusetts the we're not going to with the wages are not the
1: weight look when it comes to <laughs> business how do you get businesses to come to a state and partially it's either the tax climate's good or you have a great educated workforce it's usually the combination of the two up here in the Northeast and when our school system is mediocre to subpar and our taxes are high it's not going to happen, and the wages are not going to come. Our taxes,
2: all in, are not actually high. When, they
1: when the tax foundation puts you in the bottom ten yeah, percent, bottom ten, then I think you're
2: high. We are high in property taxes. Uh, we above, are we not uh, high but, in the other categories. Uh, wait, above, Our sales tax is high but narrow. Our income tax is right in the range of states like ours. We I, are and we're and high compared states, to Alabama. Okay, so but see, <laughs> states like ours. So. States, yeah, states that, that states have high taxes. states that are, no, states <laughs> that are and treat workers well now, and want to
1: provide so, services. But the problem is, is that you compete in a national market and no, when you're in the no, bottom, we don't. we
2: don't have businesses that, that we, we want moving to the oh, go, to We don't like East. certain businesses. That's right. We don't we like certain businesses. We don't I like
0: jobs. We don't
1: like to
2: have like don't of bad jobs. See, this job. is a, the debate <laughs> that we want <laughs> to see between this Gabe this and This and is actually. Yeah, this should be the
0: Gabe Amo, Gary Leonard debate. Well, this would be. Are you glad that I didn't put you between these two? They would be talking about this right now. It's possible Gary agrees with me and Lisa, though, so we'll be all tell you, we've Come well, a long okay. way when I was in high sc- I went to high school in Massachusetts when it was Taxachusetts, right? right? That seems like that's a very it- distant memory. Did All right. It- to be- did you want a last word on that? Last word <laughs> on no, that? We, we had a few words. <laughs> we'll going, right? we, we, this is a
2: fundamental disagreement
0: that we have. All right. We Take are ta- it outside. We are it <laughs> <yeah, laughs> t- <yeah>, t- outside <laughs> the studio. We are taping on a uh, Friday morning. On Thursday night, the Providence City Council overwhelmingly approved a uh, proposal put forth by Mayor Smiley. He's been talking about this a long time for payment in lieu of taxes. It's uh, the act Acronym is Pilot, and basically this is the four colleges and universities in Providence uh, contributing millions of dollars over the next 20 years to try to offset some of the city expenses. So, Bob, let me begin with you. I know there was some protest. I always find yeah. it funny. The, the, these are the Brown University. <laughs> students who don't want to call it Columbus Day and they don't realize that the, it was founded on slave trading, but they have a narrow... You Brown uh, University, I know you guys are both graduates are. there, they seem to be a little out of touch That <laughs> the fact that they're giving millions and millions and millions of
2: dollars. I, I, I will say, since you started with I will say I was amused by a comment from a Brown student who says, well, it wasn't until I got to college that I was aware that Colleges don't pay property taxes. Well, I, I, Steve and I both in high school took the course on taxation uh, policies and you know municipal and state government, so we knew when we got to Brown they didn't pay taxes. Hmm. Um, but that naivete aside, um, I, I think. Uh, Mayor Smiley and Council President Miller did a good job, by and large. I had a front row seat 20 years ago when David Cicilline was uh, new mayor and negotiated the first one of these. I hate that we have to do it. I wish the state fully funded pilot. I think that, you know, nonprofits are supposed to be different types of entities. Uh, I think that the problem 20 years ago is we changed the nature of relationships, so it's purely transactional now between our nonprofits and the city. That said, I think they do have an obligation. Uh, I remember the math from 20 years ago. Where we said, "Well, you get police and fire services. We should figure out about what that costs to service your entity, and we should find a way to assess you for it." You Is Brown picking up its r- own trash? I yeah, Brown picks up its own trash, and they have their own they have their own uh, campus police that all went through the academy. Sure. So they have the gold badge hmm. thing, and even back then they adopted the, uh, which the students don't like that either. You know, it's, but uh, I, I think that. A lot of credit goes to the mayor in doing this. A lot of credit goes to the council of seeing the big picture that we are legally entitled to nothing. We've got probably the best deal net net in the country. I don't know if they should be going after a lifespan or not. I have to think about that. So I'm not totally on board with that part
3: of it. So I think I need to disclose that I'm one of the four schools that were in the (laughs) negotiation (laughs) 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 to do that. But, you know, that said... There's, words matter and in this case it's voluntary payments and then there's the state pilot program. And what sometimes gets pushed off to the side is not only are the schools coming forward with the agreement that we've come together with millions of dollars um, over 20 years to be very predictable to the city of Providence of budget coming in. The city of Providence gets money from the state of Rhode Island under the payment in lieu of taxes program so they get the money from the universities plus Right now the pilot is funded at 27 percent, so they get 27 percent of that. So it's not a bad deal. And I do want to commend the mayor and the council and the council president. This was a good negotiation. This was not blood on the floor and good bad will coming out of it. This was well done. And I think the council recognized that the school stepped up. We know that this was the right thing to do. And now we can work together collaboratively on a lot of other initiatives to help the city of Providence going forward. Brown grad, what do you think?
0: Look, um,
1: I think it's probably the best deal Smiley could come up with right now. I'm, I have some personal kind of like critiques of it, but everyone probably would. Like, first, I'm not a big fan of making long-term or 20-year agreements for these sorts of things. Um, I'm much more into smaller time periods because you can't project the, what's going to happen in the future. Those payments increase at a rate of about 2, two and a half, three percent 3% over 20 years. You could have high inflation. And, all and maybe of a sudden, the
0: endowment will go up $2 billion. Well, yeah,
1: and the other thing, too, is like, you know you have to project what the city of province's financial problems are going to be. They're going to have some significant financial problems. Every time there's a recession, you know, the state gets a hit, the cities and towns get a hit. So people's property taxes are going to go up by more than
2: two or three you percent. You make a
0: great point because uh, were which you were involved with, that you referenced to, sounded like a great deal at the time. By the end, it didn't look so good.
2: Well, again, it, the comparison has to always be to nothing. You got nothing. There was no legal entitlement to Anything, you know what they should have done. What you could add to, to the agreement still, I, th- I think Lisa is saying, and we'll team up together to try and get an increase in the pilot percentage for all the communities. I think in it's the state. hard for
0: people to swallow yeah. lifespan um, when they see Tim Babino, the former president, yeah, no right. $3 oh, three million, million dollars. They have more public relations people earning high salaries. You could eliminate half of them and give. Uh, you know, it's just my own personal feeling Well, and, about and
2: you've got to do a different type of assessment... I understand healthcare and what is they provide in difficulty, the, but you, it's kind of the um, disconnect. And, and I think they will. I, I, I watched the interview uh, with the new head of Lifespan on, on Channel 12 last week, and I think, you know, he's very matter-of-fact. Yeah, well, we just haven't had the negotiations yet, and right. they're doing it now.
0: Let's get to uh, outrageous and or kudos. Lisa, let's begin with you this week.
3: So I was watching the Patriots game last Sunday, and I was thinking, you know, my heart sank watching it, and then to learn that the Boston Red Sox came in last... (laughs) You know, so that was my initial outrage. But I do want to take one minute to do a kudos to Kevin McCarthy. I was really stunned that he put his speakership on the line to save the country, that he put country before self, And he didn't seem to be the type of person to do that because he knew once he entered Congress, all he wanted ever to do was race to that seat of power. So he had to know in the back of his head, by doing what he did, he was going to lose his speakership. He seemed he very
0: it. comfortable in that press conference afterwards, like he kind of, like, like the burden had like, been I've lifted. Like, I've been there,
3: done that. I've been right. speaker. I can go down in history, you know, as being a speaker. And then he walked away.
0: Steve, what do you have?
1: Um, basically an outrage, but more of a sad reflection, which also deals with the whole Kevin McCarthy situation, which is, you know, Kevin McCarthy lost his speakership this week, but really the big loser was bipartisanship. Mm-hmm. This will be, because the Democrats teamed up with Matt Gates on this, instead of just voting present, it will become almost impossible to do bipartisan things in Washington. It will become very difficult. And when we look back at this moment, historically, this will be a milestone on the road of how our government just no longer can function.
2: Okay, Bob, you get the last minute. Uh, Starts in outrage and ends with a kudo, I think. Uh, I was disappointed to see the coverage uh, in the story about Washington Trust and the red line in, and they made no admission of guilt. I read the article closely, so I can't say they were guilty, but they did agree to a settlement. And I was surprised to see the general treasurer, uh, Dios weigh in on this. And I think uh, it ends with a kudo because I think it worked out really well. I think they uh, got Washington Trust to come to the table, have a real conversation. I've known Ned Handy, who, who runs that institution now for years. And I think they had a really thoughtful dialogue and they came up with a thoughtful plan to use that money appropriately to redress the problems that existed with redlining and loans. I think we're going to get some robust extra banking assets in the urban core communities. And we'll see some mortgages out there at a time when people really need them and some extra community involvement. And they took a bad situation. They were very open about it. They could have just said, we're paying our fine and moving on. But instead, they talked about it, and they came up with a plan, and it's a really good plan. So I love to see that level of cooperation. So commendation and kudos to all involved. Spoken from a former banker. (laughs) We know that Bob
0: started his career (laughs) in banking. Folks, that is uh, all the time we have. Steve and Bob and Lisa, good to see you again. Folks, uh, come back here next week. We will have all the latest developments and a full analysis. A lively experiment continues. Have a great week.